There are times when I have doubts. I question God and I wonder. But uh, over the years, I have built up what I would call a, a memorial of stones that reassure my soul. <laughs> Hi, it's Barry from Turning the Page. And this topic is about God. I still have doubts. And I do. I have questions. I have doubts. Um, I have um, all sorts of things going on in my mind that sort of I want some help with. <laughs> places in my thinking where I question I question what I've taken to be true you know evidence is presented thoroughly and convincingly in the courtroom of my thinking and so in a logical place it must be true but ever other factors make me waver surely this can't be true a um, couple of questions or comment or thoughts if God is good why then why so much pain and if God is good, then what is God good for? <laughs> Look, I can wrestle these questions out with really good founded theology. But it's actually, um, it's a kiss on the lips that I need. <laughs> it's a, sort of a heart connection of compassion to my, I suppose, my human need for surety. You know, a doubt can be like a thin sliver of a question that slides into my garden of security. <laughs> and the first um, experience of doubt was when the serpent whispered a question to Eve's beauty and Adam's strength. And what the serpent said, what Satan the accuser said, was, did God really say... Yeah. Did he really say? It's sort of like that little doubting question. You see, um, a question asked promotes a question to be considered and not always to be resolved. And we like answered questions, don't we? But a question brings us to um, consider options. And that is where we can have a seed of doubt germinating, growing, and digging deep into our thinking. Yeah, a doubt is a double start, a shifting between two positions, a wavering and uncertainty. Having doubts, look, is not a flaw of our humanity. It's not a black mark against your soul. It's more a healthy sign that you're thinking. <laughs> Puppets don't have doubts. Machines don't have doubts. It's only we humans that have doubts. And perhaps your doubts are the fertile soil for spirit to bring new creativity. Look, it was an intimate party. Uh, not everyone was invited, but only a select few. And don't you feel special when you've been selected to attend a private party? You're one of the insiders. You're one of the cool gang. And this was a farewell party of Jesus. Matthew 28 says this. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. And then right last, last part of this verse is three words, but some doubted. <laughs> Here they were. The eleven disciples, you know, Judas was no longer with them having their final connection with the fully human and the fully divine Jesus and they are worshipping him 
It must have been full of glory and wonder, but some doubted. And you'd think after all the events and experiences that they had, there would be no doubts in their minds at all. Yet for some, there still was. You know, I'm glad, so glad if I ever see Matthew, um, I'm going to say thank you, Matthew, for writing that little note down. <laughs> because it tells me that those that doubt are still welcome to worship. We don't have to have everything together and we can still have questions and ponderings. Um, did Jesus have doubts? I don't think the fully divine Jesus would have had doubts, but the fully human Jesus would have had doubts. Maybe in the Garden of Gethsemane, it's just a maybe, I'm just proposing this. Don't take this as gospel. But maybe in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was betrayed and knew crucifixion was ahead of him, perhaps a question briefly flitted across his anxious mind. And Luke says this, that leaving there he went, as so often did, as he so often did, to the Mount of Olives. The disciples followed him. When they arrived at the place, he said, pray that you don't give in to temptation. And he pulled away from them about a stone's throw. I wonder how big the stone was. <laughs> but he pulled away from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed father remove this cup from me but please not what i want what do you want and once an angel from heaven was at his side strengthening him wow imagine that he prayed on all the harder sweat wrung from him like drops of blood poured off his face. He got up from prayer and went back to the disciples and found them asleep, drugged by grief. I love that, drugged by grief. He said, what business do you have sleeping? Get up, pray so you won't give in to temptation. The questions, is this really what you want me to do? Is this the path of suffering truly my path? You know, the tempter allures us with doubts. Pray so you won't give in to temptation. Pray so pray that in a way that the slither of a doubt doesn't become a wedge that drives deep into your thinking. Look, I'm reading the, um, the Body Keeps a Score, Mind, Brain, Body, and the Transformation of Trauma by Bessel van der Hulk. Here are some quotes for you to ponder. No matter how much insight and understanding we develop, the rational brain is basically impotent to talk the emotional brain out of its reality. Wow. If you feel safe and loved, your brain becomes specialized in exploration, play and cooperation. If you are frightened and unwanted, it specializes in managing feelings of fear and abandonment. Psychologists usually try to help people use insight and understanding to manage their behavior. However, neuroscience research shows us that very few psychological uh, problems are the result of defects in understanding. Most originate in pressures from deeper regions in the brain that drive our perception and attention. When the alarm bell of the emotional brain keeps signaling that you're in danger, no amount of insight will silence it. When our emotional and rational brains are in conflict, as when we're enraged with someone we love, frightened by someone we depend on or lust after someone who is off limits, a tug of war issues. 
This war is largely played out in the theatre of visceral experience. Your gut, your heart, your lungs, and will lead to both physical discomfort and psychological misery. That's from Bessel van der Volk. That final quote, you know, really speaks to me about the fertile soil of doubt. Our emotional and rational brain being in conflict and wavering, uncertainty and indecision. I'm in doubt. I need someone kind of like a millimetre ahead of me to calm and reassure my brain. Someone who can say, I'm with you. I understand and accept your doubts. I'm not going to try and talk your emotional brain out of its reality, but I am going to hold you in the midnight of your fears. Look, I have doubts. My emotional brain still longs for certainty. But I have a friend who reminds me of truth. Times when my emotional brain feels truth flow as fact. I look for grace showing up when logic is breaking down. Look, uh, when I wrote this, it was 5 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> Typically, that's typically when I write my stuff. And it's dark outside, uh, but soon the light will banish the dark away. And I was on the threshold of a new day. The threshold is the object you step over when you're entering the house. You've crossed over, you've entered the building. I'm about to cross the threshold. I was about to cross the threshold of a new day. I was about to step over and into something new. I like this quote about thresholds. Thresholds are the space between when we move from one time to another as in the threshold of dawn to day or of dusk to dusk. Dusk to dark. One area to another as in times of inner or outer journey or pilgrimage and one awareness to another as in times when our old structures start to fall away and we begin to build something new. Christine Volta's Painter you know, as I look to my day, um, often I prayerfully reassure my emotional brain that it will be okay. <laughs> and I've done this many, many times before. I've been through many days. But the tempter, yeah, he still presents slithers of doubt about the surety of what's beyond the threshold. Not just today, but six months down the track. So I pick up a few smooth stones to fight my Goliath of doubt. Stones that speak to me of previous skirmishes I doubted, but God came through. Memorial stones um, had been removed from the River Jordan. There's a story where the River Jordan people of Israel picked up stones where they had passed through, <coughs> picked them up and put them on the other short side of the shore. And for as reminders of, you've been there, done that, you've got through. And... I face down the doubts with my personal reminders. I have small notebooks full of them. I read them and recite them. I banish doubt to the back seat as I cross over thresholds. My emotional brain calms me with reassurance I provide it. I wonder if sometime in the future my children, when sorting out dad stuff, they'll come across my notebooks and ask, like the children of Israel, what do these stones mean? <laughs> They'd probably say, what do these notebooks mean? What? Perhaps they will see my humanness and how God met me in my garden. Do I have my doubts? That's normal. Do you have a collection of stones? Um, that's abnormal, actually. <laughs> to have things, you know, physically written down reminders. But I encourage you, 
because I know you got doubts, that you would build a, a memorial, a notebook, something that reminds you that God is there with you. Here's some quotes. St. Thomas Aquinas taught that the corruption of the best is the worst. So the Bible is capable of great good, but we all understand it at our own stage of emotional and spiritual development. If you are still a black and white, rigid thinker who needs certitude and control of every step, well, the Trinity will feel out of reach. Grace shows up when logic breaks down. So you won't go very far. No matter what passage is given to you, you will interpret it in a stingy, vengeful, controlling way because that's the way you do life, Richard Raw. Faith is not the clinging to a shrine, but an endless pilgrimage of the heart. Joshua Heschel. Faith is not the opposite of doubt. Faith is the opposite of certitude, where you don't need to be certain to be happy. If you can't go there, you'll never be happy because you'll never get logical certitude. If you're waiting for 100% certitude, you're never going to be happy. Richard Raw. A changed life demands having new understandings in place when you need them. Store them up now and lubricate by revision. David Riddell. Without the inner discipline of faith, most lives end in negativity, blaming or deep cynicism without even knowing it. Richard Raw. Questions. How much reassurance did you gain from knowing the disciples of Jesus still had doubts? <laughs> yeah, I like that, eh? But some still doubt it. Oh my goodness. Number two, um, what do you do when a slither of doubt appears? Mm. Jesus said, pray so you won't give in to temptation. How would having an active prayer life offer us a place of protection from giving into temptation? Hey, I hope you found this interesting and helpful and love to hear from you. Uh, in the show notes, there's a link to my email address. It's barry at turningthepage.co.nz. I really enjoy hearing from my listeners and my viewers and my readers. Um, it really inspires me and helps me to connect more. Um, and big thank you to those people who maybe give a dollar a month, uh, American dollar a month, to help me keep going and doing this stuff. It really makes a great deal of difference. But until next week, um, acknowledge you have doubts just like those disciples, but you can build memorial stones that can actually help you to, in those times of doubt, to get through. Okay, bye.